And so last week we wrapped up Ephesians. We got a new sermon series that we're kicking off today. We're going to walk through Psalms and a collection of Proverbs. Now there's 150 of them. So over the next three years, I'm just joking. It's like 12 weeks. We're not going through all of them. A couple of y'all are like, what? Three years? I've, I've seen that done. We, we won't do that. Uh, but we will spend the next 12 or 13 weeks during, uh, during the summer uh, you're going to hear from me, you're going get, to get to hear from Craig and Nick and Sean, and uh, it's just going to be a, a joyful time digging into God's Word through uh, about 12 or 13, or about 10 Psalms, and then a collection of Proverbs. Now those collection of Proverbs, we're going to do one on finances, one on sex, one on work, one on parenting, and we're going to take God's Word and we're going to say, this is what God's Word's showing us, it's teaching us, and how do we practically live in that? And the Psalms is a beautiful uh, a beautiful opportunity for us to pause during the summer and to kind of reflect and, and work through emotions and all of the things that we're, you might be experiencing or have experienced. But this morning, I want to kind of set the stage. Uh, you might hear psalms and think, well, what are those? Uh, what are the palms? Uh, I've heard it addressed as palms before. What are psalms? Who's writing them? Why do we have the Psalms. Well, a little leg work up front. Again, there's 150 poems or songs. That's what the, the book, it's a collection of, of songs to the Lord in, in community uh, from one brother uh, expressing where he's at with the Lord uh, as he's fearful of his enemies attacking him. It's literally just 150 songs or poems, and it serves current today as a song book for the saints. Generation after generation, from thousands of years ago to even today, uh, like we're going to sing. Our next song here in just, uh, just a few minutes when we get into our response time is King of My Heart. It literally comes from Psalm chapter 36. And so they kind of set the stage. We take these psalms and we sing them back to the Lord. Whatever we're feeling, we, we offer them back to the Lord. And that's what the psalms do for us. They do a great job of capturing the reality of life. It's in these writings where we see that trouble becomes normal. Darkness is quite possible. It's in the Psalms that we see life sometimes, if not all the time, is perhaps two steps forward and one step back. Like that might just be the way of life. Like we're doing really good today and it's been a really good month, but hey, there might be some suffering. There might be some trials. There might be some, some um, sinful, dumb decisions we make in our life that that force us to take a step back. Psalms are about the ordinary, everyday rhythms of life and how those can be celebrated, meaning we live in the mundane, everyday life where we feel, or maybe some of us struggle to feel, and that's where the God of the universe meets us. In the Psalms, he helps navigate and help us, helps us process our life in the midst of this broken world. So in, instead of pretending like life is perfect, we have the Psalms to help us breathe in God's grace, to realize it's okay to not be okay, and how do we express our feelings, and what does this look like? And the Psalms help shed light onto the path of life that we're all traveling. In any season, we can find the Psalms to be meaningful and impactful because it's God's word. So they help us know how to feel, what to feel in those moments of our everyday rhythms. We are emotional beings, but I think I can say this on behalf of all of us. We really struggle. We are, I think I could even say this, we are terrible when it comes to expressing our feelings. Unless you're like four years old, 
they can tell you exactly what's wrong with them, right? They scream it, they, but they still struggle in that. They're still yelling. They don't know how to handle their emotions. And I think in the eyes of culture, if I can just be very frank this morning, we see feelings and emotions as a weakness. We, we think about manhood in our culture, that we are to be macho men, that we're to have zero feelings because feelings culture might say, is a sign of weakness. In women, it's Mother's Day. I'm just joking. I'm not going to get into that about feelings with, with women. Um, we look a lot, we look a lot of different places when it comes to how to navigate our feelings. If I'm just speaking on behalf of, of men, but I, I'm really on all of us, this morning, it's actually in God. It's through his word that where we can go to him with all of our baggage, all of the uncertainties that life throws at us, all of your questions, all of your frustrations, and it's actually in the Psalms, it's a safe place to help us process how we feel. What are we feeling right now? And it's a safe place for us to do that because the Psalms actually unpack a lot of different emotions. We have love and adoration towards God. We have sorrow over our sin and the brokenness and sorrow of the world. We see dependence on God in our desperate circumstances. We see the battle of fear and of trust. Where do we turn to? Who are we bowing down to? What do we trust in outside of God? We see the Psalms are walking with God even when the way seems dark. We see Psalms of thanksgiving and of care. We see Psalms of, of devotion to his word and confidence in God and his sovereignty and his purposes for our world. And now you hear me say this often. This, this book, this beautiful book from Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, this thing is one story that points us to the hero of that story. And the hero's name is Jesus. And the beauty of our Savior, if I can just, again, be very clear this morning, the beauty of our Savior is that though he was fully God, he was also fully man, and he felt the things that you are feeling now, the things that you felt in all of your sorrows and all of your failures, he felt the things that we feel now. He hurt like we hurt. He was rejected just like you feel you've been rejected. And he cried out to God and he grieved the sin that was around him, just like we have an opportunity to cry out to God and grieve the sin that we've committed, the sin that is around us. You see, the Psalms are actually a beautiful insight into the soul and heart of Christ. They help us see how we can live and follow him even today. Thousands of years later, we're able to see how Jesus fought how Jesus handled situations, how Jesus looked to the Father. And family, his thoughts, as we know, should be our thoughts. And his feelings should also be our feelings. So I'm, I'm really excited. Again, we're, we're of 150, we're only picking 10. Uh, it was really hard, but it's just our, our summer series. I'm excited to dig into God's word. And my prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our eyes to the goodness of this beautiful book. And that we become a church that actually runs to the word of God instead of looking to the culture to answer all of our questions. How should I be feeling? What am I supposed to do with this angst? How do I handle depression? Instead of looking to the world, we have God's word in front of us. 
So that's what I'm excited about this summer. We're going to look at different ones, psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of, of trust. What does this look like? And this morning, we're in Psalm chapter 16 together. We doing all right? You good? Ready? Okay, we're going to tackle it. Psalm 16. My hope this morning is that we'd actually hear the heart of David as he writes and truly believe this together. Big idea. In God's presence, we can have fullness of joy. Just lay that before you. We're going to see David unpack this, but in God's presence, we can have fullness of joy. Let's look at verse 1 through 3. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones, and all my delight is in them. Now, some some quick context here, because we're picking up Psalm 16, they're, how they're all kind of put together, who's David. Uh, but as I mentioned, David is actually writing this psalm. If that doesn't mean anything to you, no worries. But David is one of the main characters throughout the Old Testament. He started out as a shepherd, working sheeps in the field. And this is the same David, to be very clear, that defeated Goliath and ended up being Israel's third and most important king. Now, David was far from perfect, but he certainly had a love for the Lord. And he knew that in the presence of God, in God's presence, he could have fullness of joy. So the first thing that we see when it comes to the fullness of joy is that David was joyfully committed to God. Let's look at that. He commits himself fully to God. What does he say? He says, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. Let's understand something. If you need protection and you need a safe place to take refuge, and that tells us this dude had some enemies. He had some hardships. This wasn't just a, a we don't look at, at anybody in the scriptures and think, man, they had it all figured out. Their life was perfect, except for the life of Christ. All of his followers, all of us today, we go through hardships, and David is no different. He had gone through some tough times, but hear me, he knew where to turn. In his sorrows, he takes refuge in God. So culturally speaking, as, as a man taking refuge, I kind of hit on this a second ago, but I, I want us to, to camp here for a second. Taking refuge in something other than yourself can be portrayed as weakness. For men or women, but I, I want to speak to the, the young men and the men in the room where men... We're not supposed to be weak, right? That's what culture says. Culture says, you don't need help. Young boys, look at me. The world that we're growing up in says, you don't need help. You don't need to read directions to put that table together. No, just me. You can do this. We don't even pull up maps on our phone. Causes a lot of fights, but we're landmark drivers, most of us. Like, I don't need the maps. I know that when I get to this target, I turn right, and then we should have turned left. Like, we don't need maps. We know how to get there. Not only that, the world tells us that we can take care of ourselves. We don't need any protector. But let me remind you what type of man David was. He was a shepherd, and his life was centered around protecting his sheep. That may not seem like an enticing job. Matter of fact, it was, it was kind of the lowest of low jobs. But look at what David did. His entire job was to provide refuge for his sheep when they were in distress and danger. He looked out for his sheep and he did a really good job at it. 
I love what 1 Samuel says, chapter 17. David answered Saul. This is right before he's about to go knock some people out. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Now hear this. Kiddos, I want you to hear this. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. Not me. Right? Lion is going after the lamb. I love the lambs. Love the sheep, but a bear or a lion comes after it. I'm not going after it, right? Like they can hear. You can have two if you want. Take two. That's fine with me. It says, David went after it. And what did he do? He struck it down. He rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This doesn't seem like your average shepherd boy. That's because he wasn't. He's the dude that ended up leading armies of armies. He was responsible for taking down tens of thousands of men while leading in the entire nation. He's the one who knocked out Goliath. And yet we still see that even David took refuge in God. Wrestled down bears and lions, and yet we see he still took refuge in God. In God, taking refuge is not a call to be weak. It's not a call to be the coward. It's not a last-ditch option for us, men and young men. It's a call for the wise to humbly come before the one in which every knee will bow. You don't need to take care of yourself by faking it till you make it. You don't need to be some macho man who can do everything in his own strength. That's not the way of our Lord. If I can just put this before you, dads, your, your, I feel like this is a Father's Day sermon. I'm not trying to do this because it's Mother's Day, but I'm just, as we look at this, your boys don't need you to fake it. They need you to be a real human being and admit you don't have it all figured out. That you actually need a savior. That's what our children need from us. They need to know that we actually need a savior. And if we're teaching our children that they've got it, then we're failing them. Like if we're teaching them that, hey, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know, that means you can do everything in the world that you want. I think, I think we're failing them. We should be teaching them, as David says, to run to the Father. That they actually need a savior and that they're actually worth saving. So the call of biblical manhood is to run to Jesus. So if I can just put that, real men will run to Jesus. You find your hope and your courage in Jesus. Run to him this morning. Together, take refuge in the one true warrior, the king of kings, and be strong and courageous, as Joshua says, as the Lord says to Joshua. Be strong and courageous in Christ. And just one more thing on this, family, the shadow of David. In the shadow of David that we see here, we see our good shepherd. The better David who actually laid down his life for you and me. We see the one in whom David took refuge in. He doesn't ask for anything else in this psalm, and I think it's because he knows that God is enough. He's joyfully committed to finding his peace, his security, his safety, his refuge in God. So my question that I leave you before we move on is what are you committed to? 
Who or what do you run to for protection? Is it to the Father? Is it to Netflix? Is it some coping mechanism when you're fearful or when you need refuge? What or to whom do you run to? Verse 2, he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the Lord or in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. There's a lot of beautiful wisdom here. There's nothing good outside of God. And David knew that. He knew that all good is going to actually flow from the only one who is good. And so David joyfully commits to God. He says, I have nothing good beside you. He joyfully commits to the Father. There's nothing good that comes from me. As as much as I want to think or as much as I want to try, if if God is good, that means all goodness flows from me. This is where Satan's good at whispering lies to us. If you think back to the last few weeks, talking about spiritual warfare and the lies that Satan has for us, it's here that he convinces us that we can find good outside of God. To be very clear, that's called sin. Anything good outside of God is sin. It's tricking you. It's deceiving you. So when you look for love and security in a relationship instead of God, it's going to lead you to thinking that you can have that outside of God. If you're idle, if you're worshiping your relationship, and it's not the relationship with the Father, it's going to lead you to think that, yeah, I'm good, I'm secure, I can take refuge in this thing, relationship, in this job, the security. Or maybe when you look for sexual pleasure outside the gift of intimacy, it's going to lead you to thinking that the one God has for you is not good enough. And that God, ultimately, is not good enough. When you look to the approval of others for your ultimate joy and your satisfaction, it's going to lead you into thinking that you are only worthy enough if they, if those people, approve of you. You have to earn their love. You have to perform for their love and approval. Instead, if I can just put this before you, Christ is your identity, and in him you are made new. You are now approved, Christian brother and sister. You are loved. That's good, and that comes from the Lord, but when you look for that approval outside of him, it's tiring. It's going to lead you down a road of despair because people will always let you down, but the Father won't. Be very clear, we cannot achieve or find good outside of God. And when we feel like we've found it, like our hope, our identity, our security, or pleasure, if anything other than God satisfies us, we're worshiping false gods. Those are idols. And David says he delights in God because he is good. And as we see, he also finds delight in God's people. I love this. He says, all my delight is in them. When we delight in God's people, we're actually delighting in the Lord's goodness. David needed other believers, and so do we. We need one another. We need people to walk through life. We need to be in community with one another. We were created for community because our God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if he's community and he's created us to walk in that, then we need one another. We need brothers and sisters to help us. When I'm down, I need, I need help. Somebody pull me back up. When I'm frustrated and and overreact towards my kids, I need another person to step in and say, hey, you don't have to be frustrated. God's never frustrated with you. Be loving and caring and gracious to your children. When I'm wrestling in my finances, I need somebody to step in and say, hey, maybe if you stop overspending in this area, let's talk about it. What, what, What seems to be the problem? Are you not happy? Are you not content with all the blessings that God's given you? What's at the root of your heart? 
We need a joy-filled community committed to God and to one another. That's what I love about the church and in, in our groups. So that's what David says. He says, all my delight is in them, the ones who love the Lord, the community of brothers and sisters. So David expresses his commitment to God. He says, I'm committed to God. And now he expresses his contentment to God. And we see the second thing here is that he was joyfully content in God. Joyfully committed to God. Now he's joyfully content in God. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. He knows that the ways of this world will leave him empty. What does he say? He says, I won't even speak their names. He refuses to bow down to other gods. He doesn't flirt with the filth of this world. The gods of this world are going to offer promises. I, I say this all the time. The idols of our heart, the ways of this world will always overpromise and underdeliver. They'll always leave you wanting more of something. They say it's good, but only good comes from the Father. Sin does not come from the Father, for he is perfect. The gods of this world do not offer promises that they can fulfill. And David knows that. Knows that the things of this world are, will leave him empty and it's ultimately going to lead to death. And David said, I'm not joining in with those. I think that's wisdom from above. And it's wisdom for us today that joyful contentment starts with a refusal to ride the fence. You ever heard that phrase? Like, I got one foot in and one foot out. Think about riding the fence. Kent Hughes says some people wonder why they cannot find joy in Christ, but they have a foot in each world. David shows us that that finding joy and satisfaction starts with saying no to the things of this world and yes to God. So what is keeping you from going all in today? I can't answer these questions. These are These are just questions I'm throwing out that I'm wrestling with. I can't answer them for you. But for you to have one foot in the world and one foot trying to follow Christ, what is keeping you from going all in? Verse 5 and 6. Listen to the heart of David and how joyfully content he is in God. He's all in. Not straddling the fence. Listen to what he says. Lord, you are my portion. What's he saying there? He's saying all of my needs are met in God. Not once, but all of his needs. He, is, he knows, he's saying this, Lord, Jehovah Jireh, that he, God's, one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, that he is provider. And he's saying, I know that I can be content in God because all of my needs are met. Lord, you are my cup of blessing. So not only are all of our needs met in God, but he gives us more than we could ever think or ask more than you could ever imagine. So I, th- I thought through like our church. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, like, how's things going at the church? How's the church plan? And I, my response continues to, be the, do, continues to be this. God continues to do more than I could ever think or imagine. If you would have asked me a year ago what our church would look like, I don't, it wouldn't look like this. This is much more beautiful. You are much more beautiful, this family of God, than I could ever imagine. You are my cup of blessing. Even in our hardships, we can look around. You can find beautiful blessings. I think so many times, I say this in marriage a lot, uh, when we're counseling people, when Cody and I do premarital counseling, um, 
become an expert in your spouse's strengths, not their weaknesses. It's possible to find beautiful cups of blessing all around us. Just like with your spouse, sometimes I think we become so uh, infatuated with, with the weaknesses that got, or, or the seasons of suffering that we find ourselves in that, that our eyes are so focused in, so focused on our, our suffering or our whatever we're feeling right now that I think if we, this is where community comes in, I think if somebody would just help us lift our eyes, you could look around and think, yeah, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, I just lost my dad. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, I just went through this season of suffering, but it could still be a lot worse. Financial things, yes, it could still be a lot worse. I think that's what David's saying. You are my cup of blessings. Then he says, Lord, you hold my future. Not only is he sovereign and in control of the entire world, the entire cosmos, every galaxy, every meteor, every star, everything we don't even know about, all the creatures in the sea that we have no clue about, all of this, he is sovereign and in control, and yet you as an individual, matter to him. That's what David's saying. He's saying, you hold my future. He loves you. He's for you. He is desiring you to be joyful. He wants you to be content in his provision, including your future. Lord, you have given us a beautiful inheritance. We saw a lot of this in Ephesians, a lot of this language. God gives us himself. And just put this before you, that is more than enough. He is more than enough. It's the greatest blessing that we could ever have. Ephesians 3, we see that we are filled with the fullness of God, all of him. The other day we were eating and I don't remember who it was. One of the kids wanted some of my food and I was like, man, I... I don't know, I'm pretty hungry. Uh, and like, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm, I want to withhold, I want to withhold. I know that just sounds so simple, but it's mine. And the Father in heaven doesn't withhold any of his spiritual blessings for you. Open-handed, he loves you. He's given us a beautiful inheritance and he doesn't stop there. Look at what these beautiful blessings and how they give us, what, what he gives us. He says, I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. In the fullness of our generous God, we get access to all of his beautiful gifts 24-7. We saw this over and over. I just said this in Ephesians, what it means to have the spirit of God within us. We know this more than David did because we're on this side of the covenant blessing of Jesus Christ. Like if you think about David and all of his hardships, all the trials that he had to endure, fleeing for his life from enemies that looked to kill him, literally laid up in caves, some of the Psalms of, of lament, God, why have you forsaken me? He's crying out, he's hiding in a cave because everybody wants to kill him. David knew in the, those moments where to find rest. He knew that God was behind him, that God was before him, and he knew that God was at that moment right beside him. I think that's what Paul's, or what Paul, what, uh, we've been in Ephesians for a long time. I think that's what David is saying right here. Can you imagine the presence that he had as a leader? 
He was content in the Lord. All of his thoughts that troubled him at night, he was content in the Lord. He would find joy and contentment in God because the Lord would counsel him. This is the type of leader that David was. All of his suffering, all of his trials, he'd find, he'd find ways. The Lord would graciously, the Spirit would graciously lift his eyes and he'd find contentment in God because it was the Lord that would counsel him. And we have the good counselor, but there's also an evil one. The serpent was evil when he started in the garden as he gave wicked counsel to Adam and Eve. So remember, the, the call here is to be all in. Not one foot in the world, not one foot uh, trying to walk with Christ. We cannot ride the fence of life. There's good and there's evil, godly counsel and wisdom or evil deception. So what he's saying here is, is the Lord counsels me. When all my angst at night, when I can't sleep, it's the Lord that counsels me. Isaiah tells us that the Lord is a wonderful counselor. Proverbs chapter 2, we see this, Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So what a gift. Think about the presence that, that David had. What a gift it is to be content in God. Our wonderful counselor who is with us. I wonder, just throw this out there. I wonder how many of us lay awake at night and struggle to shut off our brain. David's saying... He's, he's man. He, he is saying, at night, my, my thoughts trouble me. I wonder how many of us lay awake and, and our, our brain can't shut off. We can't stop worrying about so many different things. Whether it be personal life, things that you're enduring in your marriage or different relationships. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's relationships in the church, out of the church. Maybe it's school. Even my children in here, I wonder how many of us are just nervous to, to go to school. We, we stay up at night. We're nervous about this test. We're worried about this. There's plenty of anxious nights where my thoughts have troubled me, and I'm working on this. There's times where I've waken up in the middle of the night and just, just angst. It's like, well, I had, had to just use the restroom, but actually now my mind is just going crazy. I lay back down and I'm just like, oh, with this. And if we do this, we could do this. And if we don't do this, this is going to happen. And then I'm literally, I just want to shout and say, stop. My mind is going 90 miles an hour. And I'm working on it. It's hard to shut down at night. And then there's even times during the day where it's hard to stay focused. All right, I'm going to stay focused on this. I'm going to be disciplined in this. I'm going to continue to do this. And then it's like, rabbit, hello. And I start chasing this over here. And you start thinking, and it's hard to stay focused. Part of my journey in counseling, uh, he's been helping me with this. And one of the simple things, and I thought it was crazy, but I've shared, I think, a little bit of this, of just this breathing exercise, right? Like it sounds simple, and it is. But he worked with me, and he's continually reminding me of this. This is what this breathing, this pause and just breathing. And all along he's reminding me of this truth that David gives us. He's teaching me. The word is teaching me how to breathe in this truth throughout my days. And the more I grow in believing this truth that the Lord counsels me. That's what David says, that the Lord guides me. That the Lord is at my right hand. 
And then what does he say? And that, the, that I will not be shaken in the Lord. The more I, I pause and breathe that in, I'm literally conditioning in those moments, conditioning my head and my heart and my soul to breathe in the presence of God. Matthew 28, some of Jesus' last words, he tells his, his, his disciples, tells us of this assurance that we have and how we can be content and joyful in the presence of God. He says, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Means he's with you right now. He was with you when you went through that trial, and he'll be with you tomorrow or the next day. As your sorrows come, he's with you always. In the spirit, the fullness of God, we can be joyfully content in all things. I think that's what David is, is just getting at. We can be content, joyfully content in all things. Are you content in God? Do you desire more of him or more of the things of this world? Is he enough for you? Again, just questions to ponder. As David stays committed to God and he grows in being fully content in God, this leads him to be the last thing, joyfully confident in God. Joyfully confident in God. Verse 9, what can we be confident in? Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. So because of all of that, because of the good counselor, because of, of how he's with me, my whole being rejoices. I love how this is body, mind, and soul. He says, my body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Notice that David is never confident in himself outside of God. He doesn't go after the sheep and wrestle lions and bears in his own strength. He doesn't attack Goliath in his own strength. He doesn't lead armies and nations in his own wisdom or in his own strength. His confidence is not arrogance. His confidence is assurance in who God says he is. His confidence in God allows his body and his soul to not just feel secure, but to actually breathe in the fullness of God and be secure. He has this inward and this outward peace. I mean, again, I asked that question earlier, like what kind of leader was David? Like what did his presence and his demeanor look like? He had a spiritual and a physical peace. Essentially, the psalm, David is saying, I am complete in the Lord. I'm complete in the Lord. All I ever need is him. Satan whispers, well, you might need this. You might need, you know, this other woman. You might need this financial. No, no, no. I'm complete in the Lord. I'm committed to him. I'm content in him. And I'm confident in who the Lord is and who he says he is. Now, I, I love this, too, because it's here that David finds his confidence in the one that is greater than he. Look at what he says. He says, I rest securely. You won't abandon me to Sheol. Now listen, you won't allow your faithful one to see decay. It's here that David, as he's writing this through the power of the Holy Spirit, and God is inspiring this word through the Spirit, he looks ahead to when the one who is greater than he. And he points us to the one whose body will not see decaying. Do you catch that? You won't allow your faithful one to see decay. This is a, a, an Easter psalm. This is what Peter preached in Acts. This is what Paul preached. 
This, this is the message that they would preach, that you won't allow your faithful one to see decay. David is going to go on and die. As he's writing this, he knows that. He knows that his body is going to lay in a grave and that he's going to decay. But where does he draw his confidence from here? It's from the one whose body will lay in a tomb but never see decaying. Because this one, this body that will lay in this tomb one day, will bust out of the grave three days later. David is pointing us to the Son of Man, to the Messiah. This was never about David. He even knew that as he's writing and the Spirit's leading him. Generations later, from the lineage of David comes Jesus of Nazareth. In Mark chapter 9, listen to Jesus' word. He says, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, Jesus, the Son of Man, this is him teaching, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of the men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. Jesus was saying, hey, it's about to get nasty. It's going to get rough for a little bit. But stay committed to me. Stay content in me. Stay confident in my Father because he's going to come through. Family, God didn't abandon his son to the grave. The Father came through on this promise. That on the third day, his son would come walking out of the grave. David was pointing his readers to this beautiful truth long before it ever happened. That the only one who's gone into the grave and didn't see decay was the son of man. Now take all of that. And if God doesn't abandon his son, let me just remind you that he'll never abandon you. Don't look past that today. Don't, don't hear that and think, well, that's, that's cool. But me, he, he's already abandoned me. He's already left me. The Father will never forsake you. He'll never forget about you. He's never going to turn his back on you. When the lions and, bear, lions and bears come after his sheep, he'll fight for you. And Christian, brother and sister, you are his. So when we sing the old hymn that we love so much, no power of hell or scheme of man will ever pluck you from his hand. You can find assurance and rest and confidence that the Father's for you and he loves you and he'll never let you, he'll never let you go. All of his promises are yes and amen. So family, you can have joyful confidence in God because the grave's empty. What a, what a joyful reminder for us this morning. You can look around the world and think, man, there's a, lot, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of uncertainty. But we can look to God's word as much as we're in an uncertain time. I, I'm pretty sure, knowing historically the life that David lived, I'm pretty sure he went through a lot, probably a lot worse than we did. And if he can find his stay committed and find his, his contentment in the Lord and his confidence in the Lord, then I, I think we can too, too today. We can be joyfully committed to God and his mission. We can be joyfully commit, content in his provision in all things. And that's going to lead to a joyful confidence in the work of Jesus. And it's here where God, as he closes out, he says this. 
reveals the path of life to me. It's here in your presence we find abundant joy. And it's here in the fullness of God at your right hand we have eternal pleasures. Let's pray. Lord, you, you are so faithful to us. I can think about all of the times where I thought you weren't. I can think back to the times in in our miscarriage and how I just looked around and and just thought, man, I, I don't really know if God cares. I remember being frustrated in different seasons financially or in ministry, just just this discontentment. I remember looking around different seasons of life, whether that was an eight-year-old, I can even think back to wanting more, always wanting something different. And uh, I can think back to two weeks ago. Just kind of wrestling, like, God, is this, is this it? Do you, do you really care? And you do. You do care. And over and over again, this is what I love about our our stories, God, that you give us opportunities to be faithful. You give us opportunities to to be content, to be committed to you, to find our confidence in you. I can think back to all of those times where I looked around and thought, where are you? And I I can be reminded of your faithfulness. Even when I ran from you, I can be reminded of your faithfulness, your faithful pursuit. Even as I heard the whispers of the enemy and I I went towards the bears and towards the lions, the ones that seek to devour, to steal, kill, and destroy, even as I ran headlong into sin, you fought for me. You pursued me. You protected me. It was in you I had refuge and strength. You pulled me out of the pit. You patted me on my back. You you, you dusted me off. You lifted my eyes. And all of my discouragement, you just whispered beautiful truth to me. And all of my discontentment, you said, hey, son, I'm, I'm more than enough for you. I've never let you be without. You have the fullness of joy in my presence. And all of my lack of confidence and and just woe of me, he lifted me up. And he said, I've gone before you, son. And I'm I'm behind you, but I'm also right there with you. You have my spirit. So Lord, just what a beautiful truth that we can find full dependence and joy in your presence today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your word speaks to us. And as we respond this morning, I pray that just those gentle reminders, maybe those questions that we need to work through, where do we run to? Who do we run to? What type of presence do we have? Would you just stir in our hearts and do what only you can do? And Lord, to my friend who has never put his hope and trust, they've never, they've never proclaimed you as, as their Lord and Savior, would you just gently work and move in their lives today. Help them to see and to realize your goodness and your faithfulness and lift their eyes to you. Your spirit um, 
convict? Would your spirit heal and restore? And would, would they confess that you are Lord and put their faith in you today? We love you, Lord. We thank you that you're alive and working right now in our hearts. Be with our children. Help them to hear the truth as we sing, as we worship together as a family in this community of believers. Help us to pray with one another and for one another, to be led by your spirit in a powerful way. You're giving good gifts in this moment. You've laid somebody on our heart. In this moment, you're working and intervening on behalf of all of your saints, all of your children whom you love, and you're desiring us to walk headlong into you. So help us not to straddle the fence today any longer and to be all in. We love you, Lord.